the Behind the Seams podcast. I'm your host, Nunzio Signore, looking to bring you great dialogue with some of the best in the world of player development. The world of training baseball players has changed dramatically during the past few years, and I'm looking forward to shedding some light here on what's the latest, what's the best, and what's really happening in the world of player development. Thanks for joining me for the ride. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Before we begin, I want to tell you about our new remote training programs here at RPP. We've been offering remote training for quite some time, but we always required athletes to come in-house for assessments. Now, we can do the whole assessment online, and we're really excited about bringing all of our services, pitching, hitting, and strength training, to your doorstep. So if you like what we do and how we do it, check it out on our website at rocklandpeakperformance.com under remote training in the toolbar. Thanks. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Behind the Seams Podcast. I'm Nunzio Signore, and today I've got my buddy Mike McFerrin from Wake Forest University. Mike is a Lake George native, which is my neck of the woods, and uh, he is the coordinator of the Pitching Lab and director of player development at Wake Forest. Mike joined the Wake Forest program in 2021. His role is to interpret and define the developmental direction of throwing athletes in collaboration with coaching and supporting the staff while using data and technology to maximize performance and minimize risk of injury. Prior to Wake Forest, Mike served as the associate head coach, pitching coach, and recruiting coordinator at Skidmore College from 2017 to 2020. Mike is a guy who I talk to on the phone all the time. I really love his concept of how he handles his player development. Um, he, he grabs all aspects and all buckets. He leaves no stone unturned. He looks at the process very much like I do. And um, he's really got a great seminar going down there at Wake called The Bridge. Um, I'm fortunate enough to speak at it last year. It, it was an incredible conference, and I'm looking forward to doing it this year. Today, we want to welcome to the show Mike McFerrin. Mike, what's up, brother? Not, not a whole lot, man. This is awesome, dude. Thanks for having me in person. Much better to connect this way. So before we get started, I just want to tell you that, um, once again, I'm really, really excited to be at the bridge this year. Um, it's December 1, 2, and 3. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, we're pumped to have you, man. You did such a good job last year, and you bring so much value to it, so I appreciate you doing it. Um, yeah, it's a conference that I, I really want to push the game forward with. I, I really want to bring the right collection of people to, um, you know, to speak on what it is that, that they do really well within the industry. And one of the things I've noticed this year that I really want to make sure is a huge piece of this is that everyone at the elite levels of the industry seems to be asking the same questions in pitching development, which I think is really interesting. So why, why are they asking those questions? It must mean that, um, we don't have a good answer for those yet across the board. So uh, part of the thinking is I, I want to make sure that those questions are answered as best as possible. So I'm bringing in people like yourself to speak on those matters and, and see if we can do something about it. And I know you've got Robin Lund there, who's a, a great friend of mine, and also Jimmy Boofy and countless other guys who just I have the utmost respect for. Uh, last year, I really, I mean, I spent, I spent the entire time. I don't think I missed one presentation. And I actually... It was what the great thing about it was, was that I knew that I was going to do a podcast on the actual seminar when I was done. So I actually sat there 
with a clipboard, a pen, and paper. And I actually wrote bullet points of the aha moments in every guy's presentation. And I really, really, I mean, I got to tell you that I, I learned a lot just from being around those guys. And once again, the hang is great. I mean, you never really get a chance to hang out with PTs, strength and conditioning coaches, pitching coaches, hitting coaches, facility owners, um, players. It's just, it's, it's, it's just a whole, it spans the gamut of everything. And, um, I also get a chance to hang out with, uh, my great friend, Corey Mascara, who I laugh every time I say his name because I've known him for 15 years. And, um, I hope he's going to be there. You know, it's he, like he'll poke his head in. Yeah. He's uh, him and his wife are having their third kid. So it should be here right around that time. Uh, yeah. So that's why he's not speaking this year. But yeah, he'll, he should be around. So guys, uh, how can, how can they, uh, how can people sign up for the seminar and get in there? Yeah. So if you just Google search the Wake Forest Bridge Seminar, it should take you right to it. It's also on the uh, Pitching Labs website. So it's wakeforestpitchinglab.com where you can sign up for your admission. And um, yeah, like you said, so eloquently, it's, it's really so many people from different walks of the game and, and trying to include everyone from each piece of it so that we can start to speak the same language and, and pick off each other's you know ideas and experience. Um, so it, it really doesn't matter if you're a pitching coach or a strength coach or a biomechanist. And, and it's something that I find is really, really needed because when I go and I consult with pro teams um, or colleges, the big thing is they've got they've got the qualified guys there. They've got great strength coaches. They've got great um, PTs. They've got great athletic trainers. They've got great pitching and hitting coaches. And everybody's great, but for some reason the dialogue has not been has not been weaved together like a like a like a basket. You know, um, honestly, that is what my that's what my PowerPoint is on this year is how we here take it and. We make it so the strength coach can talk to the pitching coach. The pitching coach can talk to the hitting coach. The hitting coach can talk to the athletic trainer. It's It really is. Um, I try to take the way we assess guys and um, take a lot of the guesswork out of it. And that brings us to our talk today where I was thinking to myself, what can I ask Mike? Mike's like, Mike wears a lot of hats. And it's like um, – <laughs> As myself in the private sector, you have to wear those hats. You have to make sure that everything is – there's no stone unturned, like I said before. So I said, Mike, what do you want to talk about? Mike sent me the most perfect list of things that he feels are important. So you gave me a brief overview of a full bullet points to what, you, in your opinion, modern pitching development is about. So I wanted to uh, talk about a few of these today. Sure. No, that's perfect. So I looked at your list and I, I said – what what are some of the really interesting things that I, I feel like? And this the number one thing that popped out at me is the holistic approach to designing guys individually to get outs consistently. Can you explain that? Well, that's the name of the game, right? right. I, so it, with today's industry of, of pitching development as a whole, the thing that I think is missing is the, the compete part, right? We've gotten so good at the science behind it, how the body moves and training guys individually. Um but it really is about getting outs at the end of the day. And I see a lot of kids who are, uh, especially in high school, I mean, players across the board, but especially kids who think to themselves, like, I don't throw a specific velocity, so you know, I need to start throwing harder, right? And so that's a, that's a piece of the game, right? The Throwing harder could be a tool to help you get guys out. And I think what we need to do as an industry is work backwards to, well, what am I really trying to do? 
Um, and you really only have one job as a pitcher, which is get guys out consistently. So we're trying to look at how to uh, train or prepare or use what's available to a guy to get outs more consistently rather than just can we get him to throw hard so he can get drafted higher? Can we get him a better breaking ball? Can we make him stronger? We're using those things for the purpose of actually doing their job as an individual. And you're looking at the lowest hanging fruit. And for some guys, it's from some guys, it's their arsenal. Some guys, it's their strength. Some guys, it's their mobility, correct? Well, I think we're looking at the right things. So sometimes it's the lowest hanging fruit, but you know, sometimes we go, um, you know, if this guy, this guy could use this, he'd be really, really good. And that might be a longer journey for that kid. But if it's going to get him the biggest result, then we'll probably go towards that thing. So I think it's more about quality than it is about anything else. Okay. So you talked about steps in the process, right? And the thing you told me when you were looking at my presentation, you were like, wow, this is a lot of what like I, I'm talking about. And you mentioned grounded rotation. When mm-hmm. we back channel the process, we start with grounded rotation, yeah. um, basically building the house, right? The foundation. Yep. Can you talk about yep. that? So that's, the, so that's the first frame that I look for on video, um, you know, when we try to measure biomechanically, whether it's with Kinetrax or elsewhere. Um, when, when guy lands... Uh, we want the femur to stop as soon as possible to catch as much rotation from the pelvis, trunk, and shoulders as we can possibly get. So how can we get the rotation from the center of mass to be blocked back up into the arm? Um, is basically the first frame that I work from backwards. Now, how that's fed prior to that point from the delivery and how it's uh, received and transferred throughout the rest of the delivery is things that we look for supplementally. Um, but I think uh, I think when you start to look at somebody that tells these the entire story of the delivery from that route and from that frame. So that's where we start. And that's really interesting because when we do our testing, we basically are basing everything around how stable is that front leg when it lands. Yep. And how much rotation has occurred or not occurred occurred. to that point, right? So whatever rotation from the trunk has happened by that point, you can't really get back. Uh, so we try to get guys to either land before their trunk begins to turn, turn or, you know, try to keep it closed with the appropriate amount of time. So it just depends on the person. The you situation. find, do you find guys that, uh, what I find on, on my, a lot of my mocaps, guys that have great hip shoulder separation, but it's way early. Yeah. And they unwind. Do you find that there are guys that counter rotate a lot when they yeah. first, when they first come up? Yeah. It's, it's a, yeah, a hundred percent. So it's about to your, Further point, I think it's about playing with the timing of it to get it into the block as best as possible. And the, the interesting thing about the delivery is I like to think about it like a domino sequence, right? So each domino affects the next domino. So if you want to f- affect that fourth domino in the line, then it's probably one of the previous dominoes that's affecting it that way. So it's not necessarily the one that you change. You just have to know what is the cause and what is the effect within the delivery. And I guess just through so much experience we've um, in working with so many guys, we've just seen uh, what movements cause other movements to take place so that we're not trying to fix a specific movement and bang our hands against the wall with, with getting nothing out of trying to fix that movement. Do you find that um, generally everything starts from almost leg lift? into into foot plant there's really not much you can do once you hit foot plant there's not a whole lot of time to work on anything at that point well there's i think there's a little bit you can do after foot plant like the um, one of the common phrases that we use quite a bit and i try to explain to a lot of these guys is like you can be patient after foot plant right so it's a sequence thing so i think sometimes if um if you can delay the top half by timing not by trying to force it close but by being patient and relaxing your muscles um you can catch some of that hip shoulder separation it's it's very particular to each individual. Um, but 
a lot of times in a guy that turns his entire center of mass at the same time after he lands, uh, you can you can use a phrase uh, something to the effect of like, "Hey, be patient after you block." For your upper body to start turning, and you'll get a little bit more uh, of an elastic rubber band like pull. Yeah, because if you're sequence. stiff, you're coming around all at one time. Yeah, exactly. Like a, like a board. Yeah, but there is. Uh, yeah, I would say the the vast majority of things are are how the first few dominoes are affecting the rest of the sequence. To your that, point. that's what I find all the time, and I find that because it's the bigger body part and the bigger leg, a part of your leg that's doing that, and it's also what happens first, and it happens slowest. That it's honestly, yeah. it's the easiest thing to catch. Yeah. I like to, so think about it in two ways. So if we go, so for efficiency for me is how can we maximize our output from our input, right? Kind of that simple. Like how does the output of force maximize from the input of force? And I think you can split the delivery into two halves, although it's much more complicated than this, but just to keep it as simple as possible. If you split it into, there's the input section and there's the output section. And the input section for me is how we rotate our back legs in the landing and wind up the, the body, specifically the trunk with the back leg. Uh, so everything from like leg lift to when they land, I would call like the input of energy, right? So you're inputting energy back into the ground, landing, um, but setting up your body to have an elastic effect after you land. And the second piece would be how do we maximize the output? So how do we set up the body parts where energy is going to flow through like lining up dominoes um, to make sure that they, the energy is going to receive and transfer to each domino piece along the way as best as humanly possible and cause the least amount of stress as we can create. That's fantastic. Um, let's move on to the second thing that you said. Feed them context. Teach them to fish. This one, I still don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to know. So what do you mean by that? Okay, so... So the old adage is you can you can give someone a fish or you can teach them to fish. And, and we're of the variety that we want to teach them to fish, right? So in other words, we don't want to become a crutch as a coach. Right? Right. So you come to us for information and you have to keep coming to us for information for every little thing and to fix yourself. But we're really in the in the industry of raising men and creating human beings. And so I think it's about personal growth. Um, and I think guys are much smarter than we tend to give them credit for sometimes. And, and their ability to take information and use information is really, really high. And they need to. If and they're going to be any good, they need to. They have to. Otherwise, like they're the, they're the ones pitching. I think that's the most important piece. It's like I, we're not pitching. They are, right? So uh, the best guys that I've found, and I got asked this one time, like what is, the, uh, what is the common thing between all the pitchers who you've seen who are really, really good? And my answer for that is it's their identity. Like, they know who they are. They understand the process. When they understand, yeah, how to go through their process and develop themselves and how to get themselves back to center when they're off from center. Um, But it's really in identifying uh, what it is that makes them really good and then hanging on to that, right, and making sure that's really a part of their identity and and continuing forward with that. So we try to teach guys that through a lens of data um, and through a lens of – uh, how can we like? What do you offer to get guys out most consistently? And so, in order to do that, you need to teach them um, the language of data, like what these numbers mean, and give them some context for what makes them good, what makes them bad, what makes them indifferent in any different area. Um, and that's teaching them to the fish. They're going to the well for information, but they have the language context to understand what all of these numbers mean and how to use them to their advantage. And I think for for somebody who's 
has the job that you have, I think that you also have to take a look at the athlete and figure out that process is different for every guy. There is a learning, there's a learning curve for some guys that are longer and some guys that are shorter. And um, that's something you can't really systemize. That's a personal thing that I think. And I think part of being a good coach and part of being a good player development guy is understanding the athlete that you have in front of you. And sometimes it might be a little bit more work to get this guy, you know, where you want him to be and let him know that that's okay and he shows you who he is too so i like the buffet style of information right you can go here as often as you want and take what you need to and i think like when he starts to figure out oh, this is working for me or i need to go this often or whatever it is then he kind of shows you the kind of learner he is and you adjust to him rather than the, the reverse of that fantastic the routine is the installation <laughs> go ahead you might title the book after that one, right? That's you know what? That's a great that's a good title for a book right yeah. there. The routine is the installation. Yep, it's gone now. <laughs> um, you learned to ride a bike when you were a kid. This is the example I give every time. Um, if you remember the, the process of learning to ride the bike, like how did that go for you? How did you learn to do that? Well, I had training wheels. And uh, I didn't have them for very long because I was mortified to have training wheels. So it really <laughs> made, it made me want to really, really learn how to ride that bike. So I said, you know what? I'm going to nail this shit because I do not want to be riding around with training wheels, especially since half my friends don't even have them. So I had training wheels, and I honestly think I had training wheels for probably a week, and I was done. I love it. So we had a social incentive. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Peer pressure. Yes, 100%. Yep. <laughs> um. It, but how did the process of actually learning it go? Do you remember like the physical part of it, the mental part of it? Physical part of it was the mental part of it, I think, is is probably 90 percent of it. Like yeah. you're afraid of falling. Right. So right. Um, the mental part of it was let me let me go slow and let me push myself and let me balance before I even try to pedal. And then as I figured out I could balance and I put my feet on the pedals and then I started to pedal slow. And then I started picking up my speed, and then I learned how to turn. I love it. So the reason I ask that question every time is because every every time I've asked that to someone who's starting to learn how to move, um, they gave me the same exact answer. Like I've never gotten a different answer for how they've learned to ride a bike. And I find that so fascinating. Like what does that say about us as human beings? Because it's unprompted. I just ask as blatantly as I asked you, and I almost always get that response. So pretty much every time. And what I think it says is it's, it. It says a lot about motor neurology and how we learn to move. Um, and that same goes for pitching. And, then, and how you learn to ride a bike and the process for that goes for how you learn to move down a mound. But the difference is when you're riding a bike, you're constrained to ride it a very specific way. right? So your feet have to go on the pedals. You're, you're, um, you have to sit on the seat where the seat is because that's where the seat is. right? The handlebars are in front of you and you have to hang on to the handlebars. And basically you have to pedal and try to balance and move forward. Um, and so what's happening is you're – repeating consistent reps because the bike is forcing you to move a very specific way. And then out of nowhere, your brain goes, don't worry about it. We got it from here. Right. And installs the neurology. And then you never have to learn to ride a bike again. Like I just, um, over the summer, I took a weekend with, uh, some buddies on the Cape and I, I rode a bike for the first time in like 15 years. And I just did it like, because it's just how my brain is now wired like permanently. Yeah. It never really seems to get hard. And I find that amazing that we have the ability to do this but the difference in pitching is you're moving freely downhill and there's nothing stopping you from moving whatever way that your body tries to figure figure it out so what happens i think is that it, 
you're, you just basically repeat the movements that your brain understands how to do. And then that becomes your habit, right? So that becomes the neurological wiring for how you move down the mountain. But it doesn't necessarily mean uh, that it's taking the laws of physics into account. And, and you're moving as efficiently, efficiently as, possible, as possible or as powerful as possible or in the right direction or the right timing. It's just however you freaking like figured out how to do it. And so um, the magic, I think, of, of getting guys to move better is, you know, once you understand, OK, I want him to make this move, this move and this move, which we can get into more detail on, too. Um, then it's about, OK, well, how do I actually install that? And if you understand how we learn to ride bikes then you can understand how to use the way that we neurologically uh, wire ourselves to move to your advantage and constrain guys to move that way or give them a better internal understanding and feeling for how to move a specific way and then repeat those isolated movements to the point where they finally just become habit. Because what you don't want to do is just send a guy out there trying to work on something. It never works. It doesn't. They learn. Guys get good at what they practice, and if they're practicing something inefficiently they're going to get really great at moving inefficiently sure you know even more so like imagine you know from a competitive standpoint because there's a development mindset and a competitive mindset this is a huge thing for us it's like they cannot try to compete when they're trying to develop it's just two different ways of thinking the analogy i'll use the same analogy like if you were learning to ride your bike and all your buddies around the neighborhood already knew how and they're like hey let's go race like that race would go horrible for you (laughs) right you would just you would fall the whole time and they're like making making ground on you, right? You're going to start getting lapped at some point. So uh, you have to learn to ride the bike first and then be free to compete um, within those habits. So the the routine is the installation in a long-winded way. It basically means um, that we try to install the movement patterns that we're looking for guys to have within their routines on a daily basis. So in their warm-ups, in their plyo throws, in their catch play, um, so that they're linking reps together to form those habits far more quickly. Um, so that they don't have to think about it when they actually go pitch. And when you talked about going out with your friends and, and racing when you really don't know how to ride the bike yet, <clears throat> I liken that to a lot of guys come in here and they want to work on um, pitch design, but they're still trying to get their velo up as well. And I'm like, listen, if we work on pitch design right now, that's going to come at the expense of intent. Because when you're working on spinning a ball or you're working on a new grip or you're working on command, um, we're not really thinking about throwing the ball hard. So what we try to do, if time allows in that block, when we reverse engineer, if we have the time, we're going to always work on velocity first because trying to teach a guy, um, trying to teach a guy to get a new pitch when he's still not happy, he has so much more room to go with his velo. Um, if we have the time, um, we're going to always work on that velo first because we're not going to start working on a guy's pitch design and then try to work on his velo because then the pitch design kind of goes out the window a little bit and he's got to relearn to retention that throw and that grip to go with his new intent. So it's the same process of learning to ride the bike and then you can't really race until you've actually become more efficient. So kudos to you on that one. That one's great. Um, reverse engineering, using the block as the frame. Yeah, so we talked about it a little bit before, but um, I think that displays the story of the delivery to that point. So um, we try to we try to get each guy to save the rotation from their center of mass until they block, and there's a million different ways that we could do that. Uh, it just goes back to each individual. But I will say this: uh, I, I think what's really interesting about our game is we're also similar, and we're playing an identical game with identical rules, right? So 
we all have two arms, two legs, and a trunk. And we all live on planet Earth and abide by the same physics, the laws of gravity and the laws of ground force and the laws of rotation. And so we're trying to use a very similar um, anatomy to master the transfer of energy through our bodies. Um, but we're also doing it on a game where we're all playing the same rules. Like we all throw from 60 feet. The bases are all 90 feet. Uh, we're throwing the same weight all the time, right? So, so those commonalities, I think, show um, a very similar uh, way that you can master that energy. There's very limited options. However, um, the way that you express those options is where an individual comes into play, right? So we try to keep it um, as individual as possible, but systemize it so that we can uh, apply the rules of energy to each and every person. 100%. Like when you, when you're in the private sector, um, I can tell you when you're dealing with, you guys have X amount of pitchers. I deal with, I deal with over 150 pitchers. Okay. Um, in the private sector, I would love to sit down for hours with each guy, but you have to systemize. You have to systemize a business once it gets to a certain level, a height of business and you become bigger business and more people, yeah. um, you have to systemize. And by systemizing, it doesn't necessarily mean that individualization goes out the window. It's like on the contrary. You have to actually systemize so you can continue to train masses with individualized programs. And I think it's really, that's a, that's a really, really good point that, um, that you brought up. Well, scalability comes down to efficiency, I think, right? And, and major league teams deal with this too. They have hundreds and hundreds of pitchers and they only have so many coaches, right? So the facilities in, in major league teams or major league organizations, I think are dealing with the same problem of scalability. Um, and I think one way you deal with scalability is making it efficient and you make it efficient in knowledge in one way, right? So if there's something that we want everyone working on, no matter who you are, because we're human beings playing the same rules, then why would we take the time to look through those things on each individual when we can mass scale those things? So I think it's about being smarter about what you're working on as an individual and what you're scaling for the system. And I think that a big portion of what you and I both are going to talk about at Wake Forest at the Bridge Seminar on the first, second, and third is to systemize, to be efficient. Because there's a lot of Major League Baseball teams and organizations that come there, um, and they they actually need to hear that. Um, I work with a few of them, and I will tell you that it's the one thing that I see that for organizations that have a lot of money, um, it's the one thing that I see that they're having a hard time kind of like grabbing and, 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 and nailing. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the systemized way of becoming efficient and creating individuality among a large group of guys. Well, this is one of the things that this is a common question I get a lot from teams is like, well, how do we how do we scale this information? And so that's one of the things that I, I'm bringing people like yourself in to discuss and, and share what you've learned works for you. Awesome. Here's my here's my favorite one I want to talk about. Okay. Improving the capability to move through wider ranges through mobility, stability, and strength, which you're speaking my language at this no point. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. Well, that's definitely your uh, area of expertise for sure. I'm a pitching guy. Uh, but I, I think uh, no matter who you are, like you have to understand that the, what you're trying to do from all different angles. That's what we were just talking about. Right. Exactly. And so where your strength is... I have some background knowledge in, but I can never do what you do for a living at this moment because you've put in so much, you know, many more years of like experience and knowledge and gaining that like I have for pitching. Right. Right. Um, and so what I've learned is like as 
no matter how much you know about the delivery or about pitching, if they can't produce the force necessary <laughs> and if they can't allow that force to travel through their body in a way that accelerates as they move through it, then you're just not going to get the result that you want, plain and simple. You can't, you can't turn a screw that has a flathead with a, with a Phillips. It just, it'll just keep spinning. You won't actually get any, you know, you can't pound a square peg into a round hole. It's yeah. usually the first, it's the first yeah. thing that I talk about when I'm, when I present is like, you know what? You got to figure out what you got and you got to work, work with it. And that's about building a bigger engine, right? So it's about creating more force. But on the flip side, and we're learning this, uh, somewhat through the hard way at Wake, um, but I think as an industry, and I think baseball as a whole, is we're learning that the bigger you make the engine, um, the more you need to make sure the arm can handle that amount of power. And I don't think baseball is there yet. I think we're close. Um, but we're doing a, it, one of my one of our bigger projects right now at Wake is um, we've adopted Flex Pro Grip uh, to try and fortify the forearm. They're going to be a huge piece of the bridge as well. Um, and we're also using uh, next tiles to track our throws and see if we can navigate away from when they're super. He fatigued, was here so. yesterday. Oh yeah, you met you met with him. Good, good. Yeah. Love to hear that. Great guy. Yeah, they're awesome. They're awesome. Um, yeah, they measure basically um, arm velocity and torque on every throw that we make, um, and we're taking those CSVs and and using our data team to uh, to figure out for each individual what might be optimal. They've got a really cool uh, jump mat that measures force as well that you can fold up, which is great for me when I travel and go do assessments. I don't have to bring a big or rent a big for a force plate or anything i can fold that up and put it in my bag yeah they've really got something with weaving the technology into their fabrics it's, it's pretty fascinating a uh, couple more okay the importance of knowing your own lane <laughs> well i think it goes to to knowing like i don't i don't i'm not someone who's going to sit here and pretend i know everything about strength and conditioning Right, I, I have to understand it the best of my ability, but it's allowing you and your strengths to offer the best collaboration between two of us. And that goes for an entire team of people. It's not just two people. That's really the best way, right? It's the, it's the only way. It's the only way. I have, I have young pitching guys that are coming here from D1 schools yeah. that are fantastic throwers. And they come in. And I hire them as pitching coaches and I teach them my system. And there's not a guy that I hire that I don't learn something from. And these are 20, these are 23, four year old guys, mm -hmm. you know, and as little as they know about some things, they, you know, I can learn a lot because I'm not in their lane. It's, and that's an important thing. It's humility. It's what it comes down to. Yes, it's humility. Lose your vanity. Yeah. It's just like don't pretend that you know everything because we never know anything. But at the same time, you got to know what you're good at and stick to that. And I think that's what I mean by that. So um, it, it's, a, it's, it's about knowing your strengths and it's about knowing other strengths and putting each person in the right place to eventually you know, thread as much of that collaborative effort into the player as humanly possible. And lastly – Music, rhythm, frequency. I couldn't, I, I was trying to figure out what that one means. What did you think? I want to hear your thoughts. Um, I think it has something to do with timing. As a result, I think so. I think we're very rhythmic beings, like at our core, right? And so we could get super deep on this, but I, I think, um, I think we're very vibrational beings and, and music speaks to us for a specific reason. Um, but the rhythm of the game is one of the most important pieces. And I, I think there's a, a way to hack the, 
neurological system using music to install things a specific That's way. interesting. Yeah. And can you go into that a little bit more? Sure. Um, so I'll start with this. Like the, the rule in the lab I have is like it can never be quiet. We have this monster speaker that the guys just blast through. But it puts them in a state. It's changing their state. And what we've actually, I've actually done quite a bit of reading and just for myself, but to try and, um, you know, to help the guys that I work with as well into, into brain waves and states and meditative states and theta, delta, alpha, beta, different brain waves that we enter into. Um, and I, I think when we're in like flow state or when you're not thinking about things and you're just competing and it's just kind of coming through you and you think about it after and you're like, man, I just like blacked out. Like I wasn't thinking about anything. I think there's ways to cue those states to put guys in a, almost a hypnotic state to learn something that they're trying to put into their subconscious to learn. Um, I have no scientific evidence for this whatsoever. <laughs> Except that you have a lot of guys that you actually experiment with on a daily basis. No and doubt. You see it. No doubt. Um, and it, but it works. And it, it, each person um, has a rhythm. Uh, it's why they like a specific kind of music. So I, I make sure like... You know, whether it's a big league guy in the lab throwing or it's just one of our guys on a daily basis uh, at Wake, that have, they have music on that speaks to them so that they can go through their workout at their pace and their rhythm. And I think the things um, install a little bit better when you do it that way. This, this has been awesome. Mike, uh, it's always great to see you. I'm glad that you actually walked in my office. This is actually my... This is the first time I'm actually doing a podcast at a desk with a guy across from me with two microphones. No Zoom call, no no video. It's just me and you in, in my office talking. Um, how can guys reach out to you? I'd have it no other way, man. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, uh, Twitter's probably the easiest way. Uh, it's Mike McFerrin and then underscore uh, is my personal one, which you're happy. To, you're, uh, I'd be happy to have you DM me at or um, – uh, Wake Pitching Lab uh, on both uh, Instagram and Twitter, and our website is wakeforcepitchinglab.com. And don't forget to uh, check out the Bridge Seminar, December 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Uh, how can they look into that? Um, so the same way, you either Google Wake Forest Pitching Lab, uh, and that'll come up, uh, or if you Wake, uh, Wake Forest Bridge Seminar, uh, that should just pop up for you, or if you go to our website, it's on there as well. So you can reach me at at Nunzio Signore on Twitter, or at RPP underscore baseball on Twitter or Instagram. My facility is rocklandpeakperformance.com. I've got a book out on velocity-based training called How to Apply Science, Technology, and Data to Maximize Performance. You can get it on Amazon. It's released by Human Kinetics as well. We've been speaking to Head of Player Development at Wake Forest, Mike McFerrin. Mike, thanks for being on, brother. Thanks for having me. Greatly appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in about, what, three weeks? It's coming up. All right, guys, until then, stay tuned for another episode of Behind the Seams podcast. Take care.